0: now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. The topic
1: today all falls under Bible prophecy. So many things going on, not only in our country, but around the world with Israel and the elections and Benjamin Netanyahu and the Middle East and Syria and all things happening in the church here that we have to be concerned about. Apostasy. Um, There's so much to discuss, but we're going to Kick it off in just a minute because there's so many topics to get to with our very special guest, Father in Heaven. Thank you for giving us this chance to uh, talk about things and look at that uh, worldview from a biblical perspective on the stage of the world, events taking place, um, things that are happening that are bringing us closer and closer to the return of Christ. We we see it, Lord. The signs are all around us. Please give us discernment and wisdom as we try to understand these things from a biblical perspective and then try to know how to respond, not in fear, but in faith, knowing that you are sovereign and completely in control. Give us your eyes, Lord, and more importantly, give us your heart for people who are lost that need to hear the truth of the gospel, Lord. Help us be about your business in these last days. We love you. We lift up this hour to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's guest, pastor, elder, and teacher John Haller. He's known for his weekly prophecy updates, but he's also been a trial lawyer for about 40 years, lives in Columbus, Ohio. In 2013, John and his wife Pam helped start Fellowship Bible Chapel, where he's an elder and pastor. And his prophecy updates are very popular, extremely, I would say, and they're available on the FBC YouTube channel. We will uh, put that in the podcast notes today at StandUpForTheTruth.com. He covers Bible prophecy, discernment, apologetics, and worldview issues. John Haller, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother.
2: Good to be back with you, David. Well, I'm excited.
1: Appreciate to <laughs> You're most welcome. I'm excited to uh, get into all the different topics today, and I thank you for uh, spending the time with us. You covered some of these things in your recent prophecy update. And let's start with something that is completely, in my opinion, flown under the radar, and I think that would be on purpose, a very important man and uh, one that we have learned a lot from, Phil Haney. Um, very questionable death out there in California recently, and uh, you have some information that might really give us insight on, uh, well, why maybe he died and why actually he was probably killed.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's one of these situations where we're we're in this this world where Uh, It's very difficult to figure out what the truth is. So Mm. I've been in contact with uh, uh, Phil's uh, pastor. He was getting married in a month or so. Uh, In fact, the pastor, uh, Brandon Holdhouse, uh, who you may or may not know, had talked to him for 90 minutes on Thursday evening, two two weeks ago today. Mm. And Phil was talking about publishing his book, getting married, all those things that he wanted to do, and the next morning or afternoon, the... Uh, local sheriff in Northern California, there east of Sacramento in the Sierra foothills, found him dead of a gunshot wound to the chest. Wow! So now there's a lot of question. Was it uh, initially the sheriff department suggested that it might be uh, self-inflicted, uh, but they backed off of that. Yeah. They had the FBI involved doing an investigation. I do know that uh, friends or family have paid to bring in this. Um, somewhat controversial but private medical examiner to conduct an autopsy after the FBI investigation is completed i think his name is Michael Baden he he was the one who was brought in uh by Jeffrey Epstein's family to do an autopsy on Jeffrey Epstein after uh he died in that uh, cell in, in um New York City in the New York City uh, federal correctional uh jail um uh, back in, I think, October last year. So he's not been his autopsy yet, so they've really released very little information. But, you know, Phil was a—excuse uh, me one second.
1: Yeah, John, I wanted to—I'm glad you took a little pause there because for, I think, most of our listeners, I would guess, really don't know who Phil Haney is or was. And I know he was the author of a book, See Something, Say Nothing. He was a Homeland Security officer, and he helped expose the government's— um, really uh, a submission to jihad, and really the, the the whitewashing of Islam within our own government, and so tell a little bit about who Phil Haney was to give us an idea of why some people might have wanted him dead.
2: Yeah, you know, I, about five years ago I was in D.C. on business, and when I'm down there, Bill Koenig at Watch.org is a good friend of mine, so we decided to meet, and as I walked up, the bill said, hey, they want me to They want me to meet this guy. And so we went out uh, through the other door at the Mayflower Hotel there, and a guy was parking this little pickup truck on the street and got out. And I recognized him as having been on Fox News and talking about having been Homeland Security officer brought up on internal charges, made to delete records Mm -hmm. off of the system. And it was Phil Haney. And I said, I recognize you. And he said, you know, I think I've seen you on YouTube. I recognize you, too. But we didn't know each other's name. And so we sat there and talked for a while about the things he had discovered, what the Obama administration made him to lead off at of the homeland security system. Wow. And and I'm and we're I'm kind of sitting there and you know Bill and I are kind of <laughs> looking around like is there, you know, one of those parabolic uh, microphones recording everything that we said mm-hmm. and every time a, a big black SUV which happens quite a bit in downtown DC goes rolling by we're wondering like Man, should we? And he had just come from a meeting with Frank Gaffney at Center for Security Policy. He had just resigned from Homeland Security. His book came out later. Uh, I got to know Phil on a personal level when he was coming through promoting his book. I would go over to his RV and sit and talk with him for a few hours. He was a very unique individual. He was uh, trained as an entomologist, he worked in the Middle East uh, with governments uh, and businesses there trying to deal with uh, insects and bugs. Uh, I used to say, John, I'm a I'm a bug guy. I'm a nerd, John. (laughs) And he said, but this the way understanding how bugs interacted socially helped me put together uh, information about these terror networks. So, Phil, something we came out with a book. Uh, I don't remember exactly when the San Bernardino shootings happened, but the it was pretty clear from the information that Phil shared with many people not just me that he had the information in place yes to to prevent if, it, if people had followed through on that information it's very likely that the orlando boston marathon and orlando shootings that took place such muslim terrorist attacks could have might have been prevented and um so phil uh has written he you know it was very interesting he was seemed to be totally unconcerned about his personal security, even though he was exposing just some uh, terrible things that are taking place
1: uh, with these
2: terror networks.
1: So there's one note there I think we can go back to even the end of the Bush administration. There's a note uh, under his uh, page there where the book is sold on Amazon. It says, uh, Haney d- discloses how the Bush administration stripped him and other frontline officers of their ability to define the threat, and then how the Obama administration knew in advance, for example, of uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, how it how it launched an ongoing cover up on behalf of a major ally. So there's a lot of notes there, and w- we probably should put a link to his book, See Something Say Nothing," But he discovered that Obama operatives were scrubbing important data from intelligence files, data that exposed this true threat of Islam and jihad to our country.
2: Yeah, and Phil, one of uh, the—I'm trying to remember. um, uh, It's like the Muslim Jurists Association of America or something, AMJAL or uh, American Muslim uh, Jurists. In in fact, I— when the San Bernardino thing happened, I happened to fly into um, Ontario, California um, the, the morning after uh, the San Bernardino shooting. And there was still there was a lot of police and sheriff activity because they, they didn't know if it was just the couple that did this, or if there were a lot of other people involved in their cell. But I started investigating it and it was clear that Loretta Lynch, who was the attorney general at the time, had just been in California uh, to get it honor from this American Muslim Jurist Association. Uh, and they're all tied into the same thing. And Phil was quite clear. So Phil was working on a new book. Uh, it wow. was pretty close to coming out. He was talking to people. And now Phil is gone. So the hope is uh, the, it's, it's kind of a messy situation. The police have impounded his RV, his computer, wow. all of this stuff. And so now the question is, you know, uh, Phil's wife had died about a year ago, a little over a year ago, from a long bout with cancer, he had mm. met a lady in the meantime um, in Bakersfield, who has a little radio show as well, and they were, you know, had fallen in love and they were going to get married and all this stuff. So, I will say this without reservation: I've had so many contacts from people who were mutual friends with Phil. Uh, Phil was himself a great Bible teacher and loved Bible prophecy. Mm. Um, loved Israel and uh, God's plan for the for the end of the age, and taught about it. Uh, you can find videos of him teaching on the internet. Very humble guy, but yes. there's not a single friend of Phil that believes that Phil Haney took his own life. Exactly. It just it makes no it makes no sense. Now, personally, I am not optimistic that we will ever know, but I just hope that people will sort of take up the mantle Mm -hmm. of Phil Haney and be willing to speak truth into this big issue. I was just perusing this morning, and I can't even remember the title of it, uh, a book uh, about Ilhan Omar Mm -hmm. and her ties uh, into some of these same networks. She's co-chair of Bernie Sanders' campaign in Minnesota. She was put on the... um, foreign affairs committee in the house this is a person who should not even have a security clearance <laughs> so we have this just absolute insanity and listen the bush administration did it the obama did administration did it even more and um getting the people out that have permitted this to occur is very very difficult yes. obama what he did on the way out i I'm sure you know this. He put people from his administration that were political appointees, got them appointed to civil service jobs within a lot of federal agencies. And mm-hmm. there's thousands of these people. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to fire these people. So they they are opposing anything that the president really wants to do. And it's, it's a huge
1: problem. Wow. Um, we are speaking with John Haller, Fellowship Bible Chapel and a prophecy expert, and we are talking about Phil Haney and we're going to wrap up this part of uh, the conversation regarding his death. And I would with the people I've talked to, the articles I've read, I would suggest also that it, it, there's no way this was a suicide. In fact, the day after it happened, I believe I was had an email exchange going with uh, Jan Markell, and she said uh, Phil was a very dear friend of mine, and, and there's something really suspicious about uh, his death here, and it's hopefully it'll come out. But we're going to be talking to Tony Gurule next week. He interviewed Phil twice, I believe, in the, within the last year. Um, he, Tony is with Radical Truth, so I'm looking forward to getting even more info. Tony is an expert on radical Islam. But, uh, John, you mentioned that Phil was working on a new book. Do you know if that got into uh, the publisher's hands, or is someone working on it, uh, maybe proofreading, or is was it completed? Is, are we going to actually be able to see that?
2: Um, I, you know, I don't know. The information I have is that it was on his computer. It had not been uploaded to a cloud storage system or anything like that, and so <clears throat> nobody, nobody that I know really has uh, access to it right at the present time.
1: Okay, so it's on his computer. Did they confiscate that uh, to yeah, investigate oh, his death? Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness, um, it's a, it's a real mess. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, and and as I said, I Phil was a. Um, you know, I I laid awake one night a couple of days after it happened, uh, just sort of you know replaying in my mind the times I got to spend with Phil and the things that I learned with him, and he was a. He was a very unique individual. He was, he was a he loved the Lord, he loved the word of God, he he was a true patriot, and yet he he had this sort of disarming humbleness about him too, that he was sort of uh unconcerned about his own personal safety. Wow. Uh and you know, it it, it was it was very unique. Um, you know, and he would travel around in this R V and let people know where he was so uh, I, maybe he thought that being you know a very public figure was a way of getting himself some additional protection but a very unique guy a great loss and i think it behooves um us me others that know this information to continue this fight because yes. this is a this is a, a clash of civilizations that we have going on
1: yes it is and we it's a it's a sobering reminder of uh, the threat to uh, Christians who are going to speak the truth and, and be vocal about the gospel. And, you know, we want to get the message out, Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Also in the book of Acts, the apostles said we must obey God rather than men, and how could we be silent about what we have seen and heard? So let's take our cues from the early church and let's speak, and we know there could be consequences. I don't think anyone, uh, unless they fall for the cotton candy Christian uh, version of the watered-down gospel, um, a feel-good gospel, if they think you're going to come to Christ and everything's going to be rosy and great and God's going to be like a genie and give you whatever you want, that's not the true gospel. Uh, We are promised persecution. And it's a sobering reminder here when someone like this is killed, and that's what most of us believe truly happened, Um, that, you know, it could happen to any one of us. So teach us to number our days, Lord, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Um, We're speaking with John Haller. Let's uh, jump to the next topic, Um, and that is, I I hesitate to do this because we're going to take a break in three minutes, John, but let's touch on maybe Wet People's Whistle about the coronavirus. You just recently did a prophecy update, and I love that you titled it Panic, Instead of pandemic, panic-demic. And that definitely is what the liberal mainstream media, the Democrats and the media are doing. They're stoking the fires of fear. How irresponsible is that?
2: You know, I I had a long discussion on on, uh, Facebook last night with someone. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And, no, I mean, there was a lot of give and take because, and, and I listened to some podcasts yesterday, and I think there's there's sort of a um, creeping uh, cognitive dissonance that's going on with this whole thing. Yes. And so you have people on the one hand, I'm getting information from people that this is really, really bad. On the other hand, people that I never say, Oh, it's just, you know, it's just another form of the seasonal flu. It's a, it's like the cold. It's not going to kill that many people. I look at what the government's doing. I see incredible inconsistencies. Uh, and so I, I will say that I'm concerned. I think it's a wake up call at, me, at, 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 the, at the outset that you, you need to be do some reasonable pre- precautions that you may not be able to go out of your house for a month or so. And so you need to have some food and water and things, you know, basic staples saved up at it may be that it's too late to do that right now. I, mm. I don't know. I mean, you know, they're selling out of, of course, toilet paper is the first thing that usually goes in these things. And, But, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm watching the government response. I'm watching the response of people. So on the one hand, people say the government needs to do something. The government needs to do something. And then the same person will turn around and say, but they better not impose martial law or make me stay home. And so it's like What do you want the public officials to do? Uh, And we can talk a little bit about some things that happened leading up to the things in Wuhan, China, uh, after the break. But, you know, there was there was a war game event that took place in October uh, with public health officials. It was sponsored by the Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, other public globalist type organizations. And they war gamed the outbreak of a coronavirus in their war game, it ended. It was the end result was that over eighteen months, sixty-five million people died from this the outbreak of this epidemic that started in South America in their in their example
1: in their war game. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh-huh. and look, it's not surprising that they would choose the coronavirus because you know SARS was a coronavirus, MERS, uh, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome was a coronavirus. So we've had these sort of uh, small epidemic outbreaks that have been sort of localized before, but listen, this thing is global now. There's, there's no question about that. And people, you know, people are acting irresponsibly, but what I'm seeing is just a tremendous amount of confusion on all sides of this issue where it, it's more than, it's more than the common cold is my conclusion. Mm -hmm. Is it the end of the world? Is it the pestilence of, that's talked about in Revelation chapter 6. I don't think so. But I think this is a picture of what's coming. And, and what we see in our society with social media and everyone's opinions, it's the same thing that happens in the church. Everybody has an opinion about everything, and everybody has a platform. And the result is that people <laughs> excuse, people are confused. And nobody knows exactly what's going on. It's causing a crisis of confidence in government and public health officials. It's causing, you know, somebody coughs at a bus stop. How do you react to that? Mm -hmm. So it's a, I just think it's a massive problem that we have. And uh, exactly how we're going to deal with this is is anybody's guess right now. I'm, I'm just very concerned with, particularly in the Christian community, what I see is just um, a lot of cognitive dissonance, inconsistent views. You know, government needs to help, but if the government helps, they're just trying to, you know, put us into FEMA camps and all this stuff. And so I'd like to just have a good conversation about, well, what do you think the, the proper response of the government ought to be in a situation like this, if this really is a problem?
1: Yes. And let's talk about that when we come back, uh, how uh, the government responded, how the blowback uh, Trump got from, you know, uh, just some of the moves that he made. Of course, nothing's going to please them. But we're speaking with John Haller. More
0: when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: We're speaking with John Haller of the Fellowship Bible Chapel, and uh, his phenomenal, Prophecy Updates. And we are now moving on from uh, the coronavirus to— actually, we've got a little bit more on the coronavirus, and then we will get into our next topic, John. Sorry about that. So we didn't really finish what we were talking about. How has the Trump administration handled it, in your estimation?
2: Well, I, I think that there— um, I, I guess my, my opinion is that the response has been somewhat muddled. On the one hand, they're trying to to downplay the risk. On the other hand, they're taking actions that indicate that it at least it might be more serious. They so I just think the response has been a bit muddled. And of course, you layer on top of that the rather divisive politics in the United States today. Oh, boy. Where, oh. Uh, you know, Trump is not doing anything. Nothing. Trump is doing too much. <laughs> Trump is a dictator. Trump is not it. you know, it's just back and forth. I mean, look, I mean, yesterday, Charles Schumer, a senator from New York, came out and made a blatant threat against Supreme Court justices, yep. like Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Yeah. I there is no way, there is absolutely no way for a rational thinking human being To understand that that was not a threat. And and listen, this shows one of the most divisive issues in America today, which is abortion. Mm -hmm. And the people that support partial birth abortion, like Chuck Schumer and I think most of the Democratic Party now are making threats against people because there is a case in front of the Supreme Court to deal with reasonable restrictions in terms of even if they're going to do this, that they have to comply with certain health care standards. And that is totally unacceptable to these people exactly. who, on the other hand, want to control every aspect of health care mm-hmm. that, that we get, except this one area is carved out. And, I, you know, listen, as somebody pointed out, a lot more people have died in abortions in the last month than have been killed in the coronavirus, have died with from a coronavirus worldwide by many many times.
1: Oh so yeah, I, is... I saw this meme uh, the other day on Facebook and that, at that time six there were six deaths in the United States from the coronavirus and approximately 135 people a day die from the flu and flu-related symptoms. So to mm-hmm. keep that in perspective, that's in the US. So these numbers that I mean, yes, something could happen here with the spread of the coronavirus, but in perspective the flu kills thousands every year and and abortion oh my goodness but that's their baby John it's it's big business and Planned Parenthood it's the abortion is like a sacrament to Democrats so they do want to control that aspect of quote health care and let me ask you this why year after year for decades now abortion is probably the least regulated industry or under the guise of health care right in America how do they continue to get away with that
2: Well, part of it is the way our constitutional system is structured. Uh, The Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade issued an opinion, a horrible opinion. Even my left-wing constitutional law professor, when I went to law school a few years after Roe v. Wade, two and a half years after Roe Roe v. Wade was decided, said it was a horrible decision. It made no sense. It it lacked a legal basis. And and so there have been um, attempts... Uh, you know, listen, the only way to ultimately get rid of it is to do a constitutional amendment. But you need, you know, two-thirds of the state to make it a constitutional amendment to ban abortion. That's not going to happen in our political environment. So the best thing that the pro-life movement can do is to have sort of incremental victories to make it more difficult. I think they've done tremendous work. States like Ohio, Louisiana, other states have put in, pretty severe restrictions on this. Uh, but then, you know, the, the courts strike those sta- strike those statutes down and issue injunctions to prevent them from being enforced. Now, some of those cases are making their way to the Supreme Court. The makeup of the Supreme Court has changed. And whether you like Trump or not, the one thing that Trump really has done yes. is he has put a lot of constitutionalist in place at the Court of Appeals levels. He's, he's put more court of appeals judges on the bench in his three years than obama did in eight
1: phenomenal yeah i think it was so, one 100, 151 uh, my last count was a week or two ago 151st uh, federal judge i believe
2: i think that's at the i mean that may be at the court of appeals though I, i'd have to look at the statistics but look it's it's pretty much like the 11th circuit out out west which has long been known as one of the most liberal circuits in the country has has flipped uh towards a conservative bent it's not quite there yet but so and this is why you know the democrats are they're concerned this is look on the leftist side of the ledger abortion is it it, that's a leftism is a religion we need to understand that yes it has its own set of beliefs uh they're not based in uh in fact or reason and They have their sacraments. Abortion is one of their sacraments. Mm -hmm. Same-sex marriage would be another one. Uh, So we need to understand that context. So it's very difficult to work within the framework of a constitutional republic that we have and get the Roe versus Wade thing changed. The only way, as I said, the only way to do that would be a constitutional amendment. But you would never, in this environment, get two-thirds of the state's Uh, legislatures to agree to that. So the only hope is to do incremental thing. And I I get a little bit annoyed to be honest with you when I hear Christian people say, well, the Republicans haven't banned abortion. They're no good either. They're just, and listen, you know, there's a system that we live in, whether you like it or not. And um, I, I, I think people are working very hard to get changes made but it's hard in our system. And, yes, and you is. saw, I mean, you saw what you're up against yesterday.
1: Yeah.
2: When the minority leader of the state of the United States Senate feels justified in making this horrible statement about wow. two justices on the Supreme court and then defends it later. It, it's, <laughs>
1: oh, did he double down? I didn't see that.
2: He Oh, he doubled down terribly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he won't issue an apology. And even some of the, People on MSNBC, like Chris Hayes and everything, were saying this was wrong. This Mm. was wrong. What Schumer did was wrong. So, as somebody said in response to Chris Hayes, they tweeted back, "I think hell just froze over." (laughs) Chris Hayes is uh, criticizing (laughs) Schumer for what he said. So, look. So, all this stuff is done. So, the coronavirus thing and the abortion and the legal. All of this is coming in the context of an incredibly chaotic political system that we have here in the United States. I personally, I think that this conflict, uh, I think this is part of this whole end times thing. I don't know how long it's going to take for all of this to play out, Mm -hmm. but I think when, when you layer... The convergence of all of these things and I talk about this update every week. Mm-hmm. It listen, you know that uh, if we were doing this ten years ago, we you would you would have me on for twenty minutes or forty minutes out of a show because that we would be able to cover sort of the lot yeah. of things happening at the time. Now we talk about it and it's sort of like well, you know, an hour will only help us to get to a few topics because there's this incredible convergence of all of these things, Mm -hmm. geopolitics, culture, apostasy in the church. I mean, you know, whatever five or ten categories you want to put it in, and it's almost impossible to keep up. Everyone that I talk to that does that, you mentioned Jim Markell or other people, Bill Koenig, friends of mine that have been tracking this for a long time, they're all saying, I, I cannot keep up with the volume of things that are happening in our world today it's hard. That, that tie into prophetic scriptures. Now we have this coronavirus thing, and whether it's a big deal or not, I think it's a picture of what's going to happen when there is an end-time pestilence mm. pandemic that breaks out and the confusion that people are going to be, and who do they run to? Do they do they run to the God of the Bible? I was just reading Psalm 34, you know. Trust in the Lord, uh, uh, you know. The Lord will protect the righteous. And do, do are people going to turn to the Lord? Or are they going to turn to uh, a world leader or somebody that claims to have a plan to protect everybody? Mm-hmm. Um, you you see this? I'll give you an example with the virus. You know, there, there's an outbreak. Of this, uh, one of the biggest areas is Iran. And you see these pictures in Qom where the, there's been an outbreak of the virus. Uh, I think somebody, I've heard that 10% of the uh, Islam, uh, Iranian Islamic Republic parliament now has the coronavirus. Uh, the deputy health admi- administrator there and people are going to this mosque even in the light of this and they're they're licking the gates on this mosque because that's a tradition and they're saying Allah will protect me oh, my and goodness. that sort of thing and and there's videos all over the internet of this happening and um i front page of the arab news this morning They've essentially shut down all pilgrimages, even from people in Saudi Arabia to Mecca and Medina. Hmm. this is so and so when they see this happening, it's sort of like what's what's going on? Is it really a big deal, or is it as some people say, or is it nothing and it's just an overreaction Israel now has i'm told at least the news reports I saw this morning. Somewhere approaching 100,000 people under quarantine in Israel, they have placed at least five or six European countries. If you come in from those countries into Israel, you will be placed in quarantine for 14 days.
1: Wow.
2: Um, and, and now they're essentially saying, you know, there's reports that Israel's considering, listen, don't come. Don't come here. Well, tourism is a huge part of their economy. And so for the government to take this step is these sort of extraordinary steps. um, Is it, is it bad or is it an overreaction? But do you want to be the leader that allows people to come and that virus outbreaks? I think at this point it's pretty clear there's going to be an outbreak of the virus here in my town in Columbus, Ohio. This is the week of the Arnold classic Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger has a, uh, fitness, bodybuilding, thing. Mm-hmm. it's pretty big. I mean, we might get a couple hundred thousand people come. And wow. they essentially said, uh, the competitions will go on, but no spectators will be allowed.
1: Really? Well, now, yeah, the, there's and, there's competitors from all over the world that come to this, correct? 80 countries. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. So if you yeah, were to... The governor, s- go well, ahead. the
2: governor, a statement was issued by the governor, uh, Mike DeWine, and the mayor saying listen you know as long as the arnold classic stays within our guidelines as to what we've said they're going to be allowed to do then they can go forward with this but if they violate the guidelines essentially they're saying we're just going to shut it down and this is a huge this is a big deal event in columbus uh and this is the weekend of it so I you know I'm seeing pictures of stadiums in Japan where they're playing baseball games with no one in the stands, no one, because the and and now the question is, are the are the Japanese Olympics going to go forward? Are what's what are they going to do if there's an outbreak of this in one of the cities that's in that's hosting part of uh, uh, the March Madness tournament for NCAA basketball that's mm, coming up?
1: So wow,
2: yeah, it, it, you know, like I I just think we live at this. And, and again, the the voices that I'm hearing, and I read I read a lot of stuff I don't agree with. I'm just seeing, frankly, sort of a mass confusion. Hmm. And you know, so they do the coronavirus war game, and everybody says, "Oh, see, they're just getting together the to plan to kill us." But then on the other hand, do we not want public health officials to plan for this? Do we not want military people to to engage in in urban uh exercises of uh things they might encounter when they when there is a military situation overseas i so you know we there's there's sort of this a lot of people's like well you can't trust the government for anything and uh you know personally i don't trust them for much but you know there there are good people and i i see these people i work with them and i live in the state capitol my office looks down on the state house um I know there are people there that are trying to do the right thing. And so what's happening, though, is it's just like nobody knows what to think. It, it's sort of like uh, we talk about the Hegelia dialectic and the confusion that it creates. And now we're sort of living in that where it's happening on about 20 levels at <laughs> one time. <laughs> yes, I, I, That's the only thing I know how to say. And, so, and I'll admit, I don't know what the answer is. I've, I've read book's worth of information this week, and I'm not sure.
1: Okay, uh, that's thanks for being honest about that. I mean, we try to speculate, we try to take the information we have and uh, just try to warn people, especially for Christians, to be encouraged. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but uh, we got to wrap up this uh, segment on the coronavirus. John Haller, um, we are going to do a take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the elections in U.S. and particularly in Israel, and then talk about the Middle East. There's a fascinating article that you sent me
0: from the Wall Street Journal that we're going to get into when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're
1: speaking with John Haller, and we are moving on to topics now in Israel and U.S. elections. Um... I have no idea how it all seemed to miraculously come together for Joe Biden, uh, John. But before we go over to the Middle East and talk about Israel's elections and Netanyahu and what's happening there, would you like to comment on just what's your take on uh, just the Democrat Party and what's happening there?
2: I think think this shows the damage that was done through the education system in our country, that there is such a support for... A communist like bernie sanders
1: yes Think um time.
2: the fact that that he has enough support to at least be viable in the democratic primaries but listen i have the same concerns about joe biden and the people that he is associated with in the past right there are things coming out that he was put up by and supported by communist operatives in the united states as well i was listen i i'm I'm questioning his mental capability to be president of the United States. When I see him appear at to rally, I see his wife looking at him with concern about the things that he's doing and saying he did do this quote the other day about uh, you know, well, you know, we're endowed, well, you know, the by, uh, by, 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 well, you know the thing. Yeah, yeah, the thing. And it's like they choke over saying endowed by the creator, which comes from the Declaration of Independence. So I pulled out a clip, I posted it on my Facebook page, and it said, uh, it was a clip of Obama in 2010 at the Hispanic Caucus Awards Banquet, and he said, we are endowed with in unalienable rights he left out by the creator oh my goodness
1: yep on purpose
2: the clip is there i played it in my update years ago so Mm -hmm. listen this is not a mistake right they they have a trouble with this and uh we we are really at a crossroads in this election and uh but the the fact that we're divided over this at this stage of world history with what's going on shows that the indoctrination in our schools has been s- severe. And listen, with the, the sexuality thing and the transgender thing that we've talked about in the past, I think that every Christian parent needs to be very, consider very, very seriously homeschooling your kids and churches maybe need to work with parents that have children to help homeschool these kids and get them out of that environment because it is a, uh, hmm. It's a cesspool of bad ideas. So, John, I've, I'm concerned I, with the direction that these things are going. Yes,
1: I've I've never heard so many people, and it's only the third month of the year, uh, to this year, talk about the urgency to homeschool Christian kids to pull them out of the government-run system. It's Uh, We see the fruit of it now, and it is frightening. Anyway, um, you sent me an article from the Wall Street Journal called Israel's New Diplomatic Moment. Help us understand what's going on there with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu apparently being elected uh, for the third time, and help us understand how this is all playing out in the Middle East.
2: They're they're a parliamentary democracy, and a a representative parliamentarian system is probably the least democratic system that's ever been devised by man. (laughs) even though they claim it's a democracy. So Israel, what happens is they break down into these parties, these small parties, then the parties form coalitions. So in order to become prime minister, you have to get control of the Knesset, which has 121 seats. So you have to have 61 supporters. So they've had, we're now in the third round of election. Netanyahu really did almost, I think, better than he's ever done. The last thing shows that the Likud party has 36 seats. The main opposition party, Blue and White, has 33. The joint Arab list, uh, which are the Arab parties, which are mostly very anti-state of Israel, they but they are allowed to participate in that in that system. <laughs> they got more than they've ever had. There's the religious parties. Uh, so right now it looks like that the, the if you break it down, there would be like 50. Fifty-eight seats that would be controlled by Netanyahu, but he's three short of 61. Hmm. Uh, Danny Gantz has, like, 55. And then there are seven seats controlled by a, a, a sort of a party made up of Russian immigrants, Avigor Lieberman. Israel bet the new party, and they control seven seats. What's happened, though, is, of course, Netanyahu has been indicted. And this is the same pattern that we see happening in the United yes. States. So he's facing trial in a couple of weeks, hmm. and so Avigdor Lieberman announced yesterday or this morning that his party would support legislation in the new Knesset that would say that if you're indicted, you cannot form a government as prime minister. This is this is a way wow. to overturn the election that just took place.
1: Wow, we've yeah, heard I that mean, before.
2: <laughs> I know but this is this is huge and listen what it does Agor Lieberman I will I can categorically state with all of the Christian love that I can bring up to the surface <laughs> is a idiot he does not understand the implications of what he is doing no. because it is putting all of the power to control it, the mere indictment you you think that this is the last, made-up, phony indictment that some prosecutor who doesn't like the leader, it, take Netanyahu out of the picture, pretend he never existed. This is very troubling. But when you add in uh, the Labor uh, Party, left party, uh, Avogor Lieberman's party, the joint Arab list, and the blue and white party, you come up with about 61 votes. So it is very possible that they will be able to reconstitute get the, leg- the Knesset moving and the first thing they will do will put this in place now is it valid or not i don't know there'll probably be challenges made to it in court i'm just telling you it is if anybody thinks that the israeli election has been solved it's not the alternative would be that yahoo goes to trial in a couple weeks he's found not guilty or guilty whatever happens and they have a fourth round of elections but this is causing a major problems because it comes at a time when there's this incredible geopolitical divergence of things in the middle east and as jonathan spire points out in his great article in the uh jerusalem or the uh, wall street journal yesterday israel's new diplomatic moment and i would highly recommend there's a, a couple guys um I, I communicate with them on facebook uh, seth franceman the jerusalem post and jonathan spire you know caroline glick is another one that i read all mm-hmm. the time they have a pretty good handle on things but Spire says, look, Israel's right at the crossroads right now with um, the, the Trump plan that was put in place. Um, there are aspects that I don't like about it. I think it does divide the land. I don't think it's going to be accepted by the Palestinians. But it's sort of the, the Arab world is in a, as you know, started in 2000, late 2010. So here we are a decade later almost. And the Arab world is in more turmoil now than it was 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. in my view. The the Saudi Arabians are concerned. The coronavirus is even having an impact there. I mean, gas is $1.80 a gallon here in some parts of Columbus, and that means less money for the Saudis. Mm. Um, The prices (laughs) go down, they cut production, but that also depresses natural gas prices, and that's how Russia finances itself. So there's tremendous financial pressure on Russia right now, Saudi Arabia right now, There's a lot of conflict going on. And so Spire, Jonathan Spire, I think, makes a very good point that Israel has an opportunity in this environment to build up its support diplomatically in the Arab world. It's difficult for them to do, however, because they only really have what's known as a caretaker government. They've had a caretaker government for a year. So, again, you you have an incredible opportunity for them. But now you have this political impasse. So I think the Trump plan, what it did was it it gave the uh, uh, Israel, Israeli government, the opportunity to annex certain parts of uh, the areas around the settlements, the uh, Jordan Valley. And, you know, and and I, they need that for security purposes, but because of the, this, the, State of frankly chaos in their government structure mm-hmm. right now, they really can't they can't take that opportunity. So it's 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 just crazy opportunity. But Spire makes a very interesting thing, and this is, I think where it kind of plays into Bible prophecy near the end of his article. He talks about you know the Palestinians. There, a lot of people are going away from uh, moving away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, maybe they'll come to an agreement, but then it says here, it has fallen to Iran and Turkey to continue the Palestinian fight. Iran supplies the missiles that enable its clients in Lebanon and Gaza to threaten Israel. Turkey offers Hamas a a haven and pursues a soft war in Jerusalem, investing in property, uh, non-governmental organizations and projects intended to reverse the normalization of Israeli rule. Listen.
1: We've got three minutes, John.
2: the way the Bible prophecy stacks up is, okay. it talks about Turkey and Iran being involved in the end times in this coalition. Mm-hmm. Iran is in terrible trouble. Turkey's fighting this stuff up in Idlib, and I, I don't think we have time to play that clip. But just to summarize, the you can find it in my update from the Under uh, Assistant Secretary General of the UN saying last week is that what's going on in Idlib and northern northwest Syria right now is the worst refugee crisis of the Syrian civil war, which has been going on since 2011. And Erdogan is threatening to unleash millions of refugees into Europe. This is an incredibly unstable time. So you have Iran in trouble, you have Russia economically, you have Turkey. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just think the world is incredibly unstable. And then you layer on top of this... How are we going to respond to the coronavirus and all this stuff? It's just, it's a chaotic world. So listen, here's my admonition. Go read Psalm 34. Go read the Psalms. They're very comforting to believers. Uh, But we need to understand that I I think this is the world that we live in. I think it's the world we're going to live in until the Lord returns. Mm -hmm. I do not see it um, getting less chaotic at this point. I think we're past the tipping point.
1: I agree. I would agree with you. And I, I think if there's a way I can grab that uh, clip, the, the video from that, that they cut to these tent cities, tens of thousands of people living in these tent cities, and then the chaos at the border, it's just fascinating to see as she's explaining the problem there. Um, yeah, that
2: was a video that I put together. I'll tell you what, I'll send you a link to where you, great. my update would start at that point. Great
1: so people could see that. Thank you, John. Uh, It's always a blessing to have you on and get your perspective, and it always goes by way too fast with you. Uh, John Haller, Fellowship Bible Chapel. I'll put a link to his prophecy updates in today's uh, podcast notes. We appreciate your time, John. God bless you, brother. God bless. Thanks, David. Thank you. All right, when we
0: come back, we'll wrap up today's show and tell you about a brand-new guest tomorrow as well. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications, Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Oh my goodness,
1: um, that prophecy update that we were referring to that John Haller did, I think this past Sunday, it's so important. And so I'm going to put that in today's post at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But I wanted to mention a couple of headlines to you before we share with you who tomorrow's First time guest. Actually, the next three or four uh, podcasts, we've got brand new uh, guests, first time guests coming on Stand Up For The Truth. But there's one headline where uh, Pete Buttigieg, who dropped out of the Democrat race, he said religious freedom ends when religious groups refuse to hire LGBTQ employees. And he was asked point blank, um, do you believe this is from CNN? Do you believe that other religious and nonprofit institutions like colleges, homeless charities, churches, should lose federal funding if they refuse to hire and serve LGBTQ people? Buttigieg says yes. If they are discriminating, they should not get federal tax dollars. You know what direction many people in that party want to go. Then there's this article over at uh, Washington Examiner. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, said um, she compares white supremacists to Christians and uh, compares religious liberty advocates to racists using the Bible to justify bigotry. She said, I'm tired of uh, communities uh, uh, being of faith, being weaponized and being mischaracterized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. So you know exactly where she's coming from. Anyway, some concerning headlines. That's the direction of politics in America. It is veered uh, left a sharp left, and it's going, spiraling downward in that direction. Tomorrow on Standing for the Truth, excited to have Heather Hobbs, a pro-life speaker, and uh, she's got a fascinating testimony and story to share, and so we'll uh, definitely uh, look forward to catching up with her tomorrow as a first-time guest. Thank you for sharing our podcasts on social media, and we just appreciate your prayers, of course, and uh, your support as well. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.